So what I'd like to speak to you tonight about is a, in a way, it's a preparation for opening more fully the instructions, which we'll do tomorrow. On the other hand, it's just a reminder of some of the essential attitudes that can be very, very helpful on this journey. So the Buddha described that we are all on a journey, all of us who are seekers, and the journey is one where we move from, well, a place of suffering, and in particular, not just pain or the human suffering that is natural, loss, physical discomfort, etc., but a movement from being attached to and identified with suffering that has to do with our habitual responses, our conditioned movements in relation to what life does to us. So I think it's quite wonderful, actually, that the Buddha was very human in this way. I'm not trying to be less human, but rather take out the... It's quite all right. taking away the added element of uh, inner reactive suffering. And the Buddha, and in many different traditions, there are different what are called vehicles to take us on this journey from what is considered this shore of suffering, this unnecessary aspect, to the other shore of freedom, of depth, clarity. In a more simple way for us, especially on retreat, Uh, the journey is to go from here to here. (laughs) We could plan and create the conditions to be here, right? We took a journey to get here. But it's a really different art once we've arrived to really arrive. And to arrive in a way where the moment isn't colored, isn't colored by anything extra, is clear. And there's a vehicle. We have a vehicle to take us on this. So we have a vehicle to get us here. And I want to give an analogy, actually, uh, something I thought of recently. I saw a lot of Priuses in the parking lot. So this is going to be uh, the question for this talk is what kind of Dharma vehicle do you drive? And I'm actively trying to convert people from gas guzzlers to hybrid. Or maybe not. I want to give you a choice. So I'm going to present an attitude, uh, a number of attitudes, which I can express through a vehicle uh, using some playful images from hybrids and gas vehicles, regular gas vehicles. So any vehicle has a purpose, doesn't it? And it's built a certain way. And it is powered, and it, it, it has a drivetrain. I don't, I'm, I don't know much about cars. It has a drivetrain, it has an engine, and it has fuel to get it where it's going and all the rest that makes it up. Now, for those of you who were here last year, I gave uh, four, uh, or three talks on what are called the five powers. 
there are certain qualities that uh, power the vehicle that we're in and make it so it gets to the other shore. It gets to its destination safely. So we can really go from here to here. And I want to go through those in a traditional way, and then I want to go through them in a way that's influenced by a little hybrid thinking. So the first of the five powers are simply, uh, the first one is faith. And it's that usually which gives us confidence, inspires us to take the inner journey. And we need that. We get it from inspiring teachers. We get it from Dharma talks. Uh, we get it from life. And obviously, we've all listened to it or we wouldn't be here. And the second of the five powers that moves this vehicle along is uh, energy. So the first one is faith or sada. The second one is energy or virya. And energy is usually often translated as persistence. So let these, as you hear these, take this as mindful. See if you can see as you're listening if these are relating. You can relate to these as actual qualities in your practice. It does require some perseverance, doesn't it? Or is it all just smooth sailing, so to speak? That's another vehicle analogy. <laughs> sailing. Uh, the third, so it takes persistence, energy. And the third is the common, it's the one we can't have too much of, it's mindfulness. And mindfulness is generally defined as uh, both non-judgmental awareness, which is wonderful, and we come at that, and I will tonight as well, different angles of that, uh, just clear present moment seeing. And it's also the remembrance to come back to what we've said for ourselves, enable, enabling our mind to become more steady. And the fourth of the powers is concentration or uh, samadhi which is when the mind gets steady. Now, we often think of this as, especially say we're working with the breath, as getting absorbed. We all know this very well in daily life if we're good at something or our work or some hobby we really love. We get absorbed in it. So there's this quality that we need to do something repetitively again and again, and then the energy goes into it, penetrates into it. Uh, Karada was speaking of vitaka and vichara. So that's the quality of connecting and rubbing. You're staying with something and you can penetrate. So that's concentration. And then when all these factors come together, then we can see clearly into what we're looking at. And usually that's translated as we see into things as being impermanent, uh, as not having some solid thing that uh, experience is happening to in quite the way we think it is. And the clinging and suffering, dukkha, it's a deep level, are very much bound up in each other. And so we let go. And so that's a traditional way of working. So uh, it, to compare with a car, a traditional way a car works is that we fill it up with gas, and then we drive to our destination, right? And if we need to fill it up along the way, we do. And so that's when we're using the breath, just as an analogy. It's not perfect, but I think it's pretty good. So we're using the breath, we're using an object that we come back to to get, we get energy, right, by per, being persistent. And then we keep coming back in a way that is clear, we remember. It's done again and again. And then 
a quality of non-judgmentalness, clarity forms with it. We get connected to it in a way where some concentration comes and then we start to see, see more clearly. At least we get the benefits of a little bit of concentration, a little peace, right? So that's what we've been doing. Now, what would, a, what would a hybrid do? How would that be different? Well, okay, there's different kinds of hybrids. Again, I'm not an expert. Uh, so one is a, a, a hybrid that's a plug-in hybrid. So I assume they still, this, some are pure plugins, right? And then some you plug in and then they also have gas. Does that work that way? Okay, good. So let's stay with that one for now. So this one, if you plug it in at night, that means that uh, you're getting your energy to run the car and the function of the car from someplace other than just gas, just from one source, just from, say, the breath. So when we open the practice, then we open to the mindfulness, to the to mindfulness, which is remembering, and it's non-judgmental, but it has, it has certain uh, ways that we use that and things that we look into, which are the foundations of mindfulness. So this is a review for, I know there's some new people, so hopefully this will be good information. And for the rest of us, if we practice it, then our understanding will deepen. And so the first foundation is, is the breath uh, and body, generally, okay? So that's what we've been doing. We've been coming back to that. And the second foundation is, is Vedana, it's feeling. And so uh, Karada, feeling as in sensation level. Okay? And Karada has, he opened the instructions a little, but we work with body and that level of sensation, not just breath, but sensation in the body. So that's where we get a good grounding. Right? It's limited. So when we open the practice, and in the groups, some of us did this already, and some of us, if we're practicing more openly, we've already done it, then we open to what is other than this as a way to land our attention in the present and sustain it. So the third foundation, this is what we'll actually I'll spend a fair amount talking about tonight, is the mind and the heart. And, uh, and then if we include the fourth, we include everything all of the senses, all of our experience. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if we could, as an attitude now, shift gears in our mindfulness, so to speak, so that we would open and be renewed by whatever met us in life, rather than just by needing to come back to what we've said for ourselves. Now, this is quite a wonderful possibility, would you say? And it lands us right here in the present when we do that. So one of the Buddhist uh, key teachings on this is the Bari Karata Sutta. And it says, based to paraphrase, don't chase after the, uh, the past, it's gone. Don't chase after the future, it's not here but see into the qualities of experience as they arise. And then if you can do this in a sustained way, it's considered an auspicious day. Isn't that nice? So we have auspicious moments when, and we'll do this formally tomorrow, but we do it all the time when we're eating and we pay attention, we do our yogi job, we just attending to our life fully uh, when we're renewed by it 
We've all had little hits of this, right? I hope so. So when we start to do this, then we're actually starting to touch into the quality that is less dependent on coming back to one thing and more sustained by meeting the fullness of life as it is, our life as it is. And what does that do? Well, it saves energy. That's what hybrids are good at, right? It saves energy because we don't always have to be filling it up. We don't always have to go back to the breath. So I'm saying now, especially since we haven't officially opened it, this is an attitude piece. And it's very important that we start to touch this because when we do, uh, then the breadth of what mindfulness is, it, in, in one sense, it just becomes, it just is mindfulness as a fuller sense of what we're attending to, but it has implications for uh, mindfulness itself, for the expanded quality of what we would consider non-judgmental awareness. If we're going to start, say, let's say we can be in touch with a, a thought or an emotion or a mood, and we don't have to run back to the breath, but we can be sustained, we can touch non-judgmental quality in relation to it, what does that mean? It means we can relax, doesn't it? It reminds us, when we have little moments of that, we don't cling so tightly, we don't push and pull so much, that we're a little bit, we're a little bit okay just the way we are, even if there's a mind storm. Because there's some awareness in relation to it. It's much simpler in terms of, uh, obviously, the, uh, the environment around us. Was anybody touched by the... Uh, by the thunderstorm or the pre-thunderstorm. I was actually walking the loop when it started coming up and then it was this tremendous windstorm and I started walking down the middle of the road so because things were falling. I was practicing my mindfulness and wisdom there. Uh, but nature is a wonderful reminder, a wonderful way to open, naturally to open to a wider field of, of mindfulness of the senses. And it reminds us that when we're clear and we're present, we're not judging, are we? We're receiving. We're being touched by life. And we're being renewed by it. So an attitude, an, an attitude is really helpful that, can I just relax into this? When we open to the fullness of mindfulness, then we start to appreciate another quality that is a very wise attitude. And that is that awareness is arising naturally. So right now, just, so just, you can hear my words, but just tune into whatever's vivid in your senses. Something vivid? Seeing? To see. Isn't there an amazingly simple sense of just Seeing, awareness is arising as seeing is happening. All the labels and everything come after, don't they? There's just the clear sense of seeing. Or you can do it with hearing. Just hearing. Or contact. Uh, one of the people I've been most influenced by, Krishnamurti, even though I'd never met him, I spent a lot of time at his center in South India many, many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, 20 to 25 years ago. There's a dialogue I remember very well in one of his books where people keep hammering him 
to get involved with uh, the content of their minds as something to judge. They're trying to make themselves right or wrong. And he doesn't go there. It's again and again and again. And then someone finally is, says, you mean, is it just being in present? He said, yes, it's just in the seeing. It's just in the hearing. Attention, awareness, mindfulness is just in the immediacy of the moment. However it touches us, that's its vitality. The talks I gave two years ago were on a sutta called the Bahya Sutta. It's the most exquisite, it's one of the most universal, universally used uh, pithy teachings of the Buddha in different schools, especially here and in the Zen school. And uh, it's very simple. Bhaya, who had a great urgency for practice, tracked down the Buddha and even stopped. He was so urgent, he stopped him in his alms round. He couldn't wait and properly meet him at the monastery. Uh, and he said, I need a pithy teaching. And he said, okay, Bhaya. And he just gave him the essential mindfulness teaching. He said, in the scene, there will be only the scene. In the herd, there will be only the herd. He didn't stop there. He went through the senses. He included in the cognized, there will be only the cognized. So in that which arises in the mind and the heart, just being with that. So when we open tomorrow more fully, uh, we're going to work with the mind and the heart. We're going to open to it. And those of you who are in my groups today, some of you already did, intentionally, directly, and some of you have been. Well, what happens when we start to open to the fullness of our experience, which includes the mind? Well, non-judgmental awareness usually goes right out the window, doesn't it? It can also become very interesting with the right attitude and when the conditions are right. And that's very important because when we have to actually embrace these powers, these things that move our vehicle towards freedom along, we have to embrace them in a way that is very inclusive. So mindfulness becomes a recognition of awareness that's already arising naturally. And it's, it's a, a willingness to really relax into that wherever it's arising, rather than just coming back. It is traditionally what we've set for ourselves, but what about when we don't set the agenda so tightly? It's the capacity to start to, re- we have to actually relax. It's like right now, if I ask you to say, Okay, let's try this. Keep your eyes open. But feel your right hand as fully as you can. See as much as you can feel. And then do the same. Then don't try to feel so much. Just relax and see what's there. Did you feel more when you just relaxed your attention? When I do the exercise, I do. Maybe it's a little... Maybe you're not that refined yet. You need a couple more days. (laughs) Maybe you're way past it. You did the whole body without me asking. I have no idea. But relaxation, when we're attentive, naturally is inclusive. It naturally allows what's most predominant to touch us, and it meets it. 
So there's a more there's a, a, a natural fullness. So that's an attitude. How can I relax? Can I soften? That Karada used the word light touch, which I love. And that also moves into when we work with effort. When we start to use effort, when we, when we apply these to a more open, right? Being renewed by different fields of, of experience, attention. Uh, effort isn't just persistence, but it's interest. It's taking, as Bade Karata is saying, taking interest in the qualities of experience, in the justness of experience, just the utter simplicity of experience. And it's learning to relax into that. So it's persistent, but it's interested and relaxed. So as we open, we need to learn to find a balance where we start to value naturally arising awareness in relation. Awareness is always in relation to an object. So it's not some abstraction when we open it that we're just awareness incarnate somehow and we're floating around in the ether. Uh, well, if we're aware of a subtle state of mind, if, that's, if that was what was arising, then there would be awareness arising with silence or a sense of being aware. Or, and that's at the depths in a certain way when Karada was giving the example of uh, last night from Ramana Maharshi, who am I? If you ask, I used to do that practice a lot in South India. If you use that, it's a way to go inside and there's nothing, you don't find anything there. So you start seeing more subtlety in the nature of the mind and the heart. In my experience, it doesn't end. Uh, Probably Ramana, these great saints, they found that stable place of peace. But uh, we're on the journey, right? We're in our vehicles just trying to cruise along best we can. So uh, awareness can take anything as an object, and it it does. It's aware. it's It's always relational even if it's relational to subtle qualities in the mind and the heart. So that's nice when it's on that level. Uh, But it's not usually, right? Not initially at all. What do we find when we start to look at the mind? Or what do we find when we're not trying to look at the mind? We're trying to ground and study the attention, and it gets sucked into a story, a drama. Well, on one level, we usually get drawn right into it, and then we're not with the breath, or we're not with where we'd like to be. And then that sets up a whole other drama, right? <laughs> because then judge, non-judgmental mental mind is out the window. Isn't it? And then we gain our balance again, right? We remember. Sometimes it's said about mindfulness. Mindfulness isn't that hard, because it's kind of, there's a natural quality of being aware if we tune into it. It's remembering to be aware. <laughs> That's the difficult part of mindfulness. It's the remembering part. And that's really a lot of what we're doing here is just strengthening that function of remembrance, of coming back. And so there's a reason why we pick select objects. We work with the first couple foundations of mindfulness first. Of course, they're simple. They're more neutral. But opening to the possibility, just as an attitude, and we see it. It's not just an attitude, but it's, it's real. Because we know throughout our day, we don't just become mindful on the breath, do we? Or a footstep. Do we? Our experience is that we become mindful in relation to those to help strengthen our continuity, etc. Deepen our penetration. But also our mindfulness is naturally functioning. So learning to appreciate that, whether we're trying to come back to the mind, 
the, I mean, to the, the breath, for example, to calm and steady the attention or not. Appreciating that is very important. But it goes deeper than appreciation. It goes learning, and this is a different definition, as we open the practice, it's extremely helpful, of concentration, which we move away from penetration, a deep, and you can move deeply with something, to the definition of concentration, which just means continuity. It means that there's a steadiness of mind, a steadiness of heart, a continuity of awareness, of mindfulness that can, when it becomes pliable and flexible, it can move in the shifting fields that we inhabit in our life. Isn't that a relief? To know that we can strengthen concentration not just by getting to back to what we think and what is actually a skillful tool for us, but we think we can only get concentrated there and if we don't master that, then we're not gonna go anywhere, we're not gonna, our practice will not be able to unfold. It actually applies. If you're with the breath, it's the same thing. There's continuity of, aware, continuity of awareness, right? There's one breath. There's a pause. Awareness stays or lands somewhere. It's interesting. In the pause between breaths, sometimes you feel the body. There are even techniques where you land in the body. or Sometimes that's where people space out. Sometimes we're just aware. And then there's the next breath, right? So even there, there's continuity is what's featured of awareness. So what about taking that out of just the breath or the breath in the body and bringing it to everything? Then we start, our, our awareness becomes more pliable and flexible and concentration becomes valued as steadiness. But then of course we don't think because often there's not quite as much pleasure. pleasure. It's tricky. <laughs> Associated with a mind that is valuing continuity instead of valuing depth. Because when we get concentrated, we get really concentrated, it feels really good, doesn't it? Even if we get little bits of it, it feels good, and then that's what we think is the concentration, the value of it. And it is in certain ways, there's definitely physiological benefits to being concentrated and the pleasure that comes from that. It's a nice, when it's skillful, it's actually a nice, it's a nice resting place. And uh, it's quite wonderful. Because we're, we're not dependent on anything from the outside to be renewed then, right? It's, it's a great skill to have. We're not chasing around, you know, we're not going for some substance or another person or work or this or that to get that feeling of being really connected. We just tune into our breath. It's wonderful. It's pleasant. But uh, it's a little limited. It doesn't have to be. You can go all the way with the breath. But it's limited because our life is not limited to the breath. Uh, I was having lunch today with, uh, 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 having lunch in Joseph Goldstein, one of the founders here was there. And he was talking about, he had just been to Italy, to Corrado, where was the? Uh, Camaldoli. Say it louder. Camaldoli. I'm not gonna try to say that. <laughs> so it's a, it's a monastery? What, what kind of yeah. monastery? A monastery. What kind? Okay, fine. It's a Christian monastery. But it, it's called a hermitage. Exactly. So above the monastery is a hermitage. And Joseph went there and they said there were gardens and 
people were practicing in, in single rooms, if I remember the story correctly. They're all around the garden? No, there is a single room and a little garden in front. Oh, every room gets That's a garden. It. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was a shared garden. Okay. Point being, these, these and they're men, right? Just men in men. there? Yes. Men, they go into this room and garden, and they commit to be there for their entire life. And so just think of the amount of uh, connection that can be made in that kind of setting to awareness, to whatever form it's being called. So that's, if we just can get on the breath, it's like we're gonna, we, we have to go in that room for the breath and we don't come out. So it'd be like we're hermetically sealed there. It's beautiful, isn't it? So it's beautiful working with a, one object of concentration. But that's not our life, is it? You might feel like it here. <laughs> this is as close as we get. There's a danger, and it's the same thing with having a car. Let's say that, that has a, car, a fast car that uses a lot of gas. There's a danger in uh, getting re- moving with that in a way that's really, really fast and powerful and exciting. Because you might lose track of where you're going. And maybe you don't care. Maybe you just want to go for the ride. And that's fine. But this is a wisdom path. It's called shamatha vipassana. Actually, what I'm talking about tonight is actually a unification in a way of those two qualities of calming and steadying and seeing clearly. Because these attitudes I'm bringing forth are actually valuing the second piece, aren't they? Because wisdom is flexible. That's its nature. It sees clearly. So... Another expression of that is daily life and practice on the cushion becoming a one seamless whole. If awareness is arising naturally and we change the value, even though we value concentration very much, the value that concentration that is a condition for clear seeing and freedom is about continuity of awareness. And we start to taste the fruits of that little by little, I hope some of you already have, then we have to change our model deeply inside ourselves, right? So it's like a, a hybrid car. It's, it's not the powertrain and everything. It's not the same as a regular car, is it? It's got batteries and different electrical system, etc. We have to change our inner value structure in terms of practice. Because if we do, then we start to see that if we really bring continuity of awareness to our whole day, that it starts to build. It naturally starts to build. And we take the pressure off of having a good sit and the judgment of having a bad sit and the craving to get another good sit. And we start to let the momentum of practice naturally build. We start to honor and value taking care of the process of awakening within our whole life, every moment. Because remember, the path is to go from here to here. It's not to go from here to here on the cushion. Sure it is. But it's also to go from here to here when you're in the bathroom or you're brushing your teeth. Or of course, when you're doing your your job. But we often don't have an attitude of freshness that right this moment here is really 
a valid place to wake up. And so when we open the practice on one level, just by the fact that we're filling out the four foundations of mindfulness, and you can do that. I mean, it's, it's in the instructions, and that's what we're going to open it to. It means that we start to value all the objects, if you want to use that technical language, that arise, all of them the same. So that's why Bahia said, in all, he went through all the senses. And that when we can do that, the continuity builds. And then his punchline is uh, this guy he gave instructions to, he actually got it. They were pith instructions. And then he said, when there's the scene, there's only the scene. When there's the cognized, there's only the cognized. And then you're not there in the way you think you are. I'm adding that little refrain. You're, you're not there in terms of being that being which holds on to reactions in relation to experience. Right? It's on this shore versus the other side of suffering. So back to our mind. <laughs> back to working directly with the mind. How do we do it? It's very tricky. Because when we start to get in touch with the mind, we start to see that it colors the way that we're actually seeing. So it's anything but in the scene, just the scene. In the herd, just the herd. Has anyone touched wanting mind in practice? <laughs> or aversive mind? That actually, not just the state itself, but that it colors the quality of how you're seeing. It's very important to see the diff- there's actually a difference. And when, we, when you get in touch with thoughts and moods, and uh, a wonderful place to start is with reactions. But we have, to, we have to start to, first it's just colored, and we're blind, right? We're deluded, and then we believe our delusions. It's like we're wearing certain glasses, and they're colored by something. So if, you're, if we're upset by something, often everything we see has a little tinge on it. And we, in life, we make decisions out of that place. And we're not really seeing clearly, and we don't even know we have the glasses on. Uh, and so the mind, uh, one of the teachers I worked with recently, Saira Utejaniya, who is here, he said, the, the wanting mind is everywhere. That's one example. Uh, and we don't even see it. So we want the mind. We want certain states. We want this. We want that. Or the opposite, we don't want. We want to get rid of. And these are energies. And so we can think this is bad news. How many people are listening? They're like, oh, it was so nice when you just attend everything. Now you're saying, watch this. And that means we're no good anymore because we're full of this stuff, right? Well, that's the bad news because self-knowledge is always bad news in the beginning. Because this really is a path of just honesty. I mean, radical honesty that comes from clear seeing. But the honesty doesn't lead to judgment. That's the difference. (laughs) The honesty leads to clear seeing that when sustained actually removes uh, the delusion and the tendency for these habit energies to not only color how we see things, but to impose themselves on how we act and how we think. And it's like they're running. There's like a default mode that's running underneath us all the time. So one attitude that's really wonderful, it's a way to start to work with the mind, is that when we get caught up in a mind storm, when we get sucked down, and it's not just, first we can start to investigate body sensation and mind and see how the mind and body work together. 
I wouldn't just say it's first, but it's, it's part of the process. So when we open it, then, and you, many of us have been doing this for naturally or systematically, where we start to feel the energetic quality of things that are difficult and pleasant in the mind and the heart in the body. And what does that do? It starts to take the power out of the tendency to believe in them and to keep, what? Adding on to them with thought. Because there, we realize there are different layers of an experience. And then we can start to see into certain layers that don't, they don't deny them. And that's very important. We don't deny these things, but we don't indulge in them either. And then the, they start naturally when awareness is sustained, when awareness is, when we're interested, uh, they start to sometimes unwind. That's beautiful, and that's when wisdom happens. But often we're in such a struggle to get rid of them. And so we've been doing that systematically. But when we open the practice, part of our attention is very skillful for part of our attention to start to actually take interest in the colorations of the mind. We'll just put it that way in how these energies actually move. And it's a little hard at first, but naturally it becomes part of the feature of our practice, and then it really opens the practice up quite a bit. Take interest in how we get, how we get diluted, how we see not clearly, and what it does. We start to take interest in that. So before I was uh, up here, we were having uh, lunch, Corrado and I, and uh, Neva and, and Giorgio were having, uh, their son were having lunch in Cambridge. And uh, I saw how the wanting mind and delusion work so, and they all work, they work together so beautifully. It's like an underground mafia, or no, sorry, Corrado. <laughs> so what, it, it's a very simple example, but we were sitting at a table, which was uh, facing what I thought was a mirror in front of us. I was sitting this way, and, uh, and Neva came in, she wanted to, we had already, Corrado and I had our meals. We wanted a waitress because so that, so that Neva and Giorgio could uh, order. And I really wanted it. And that colored how I saw. So I saw, and it was a delusion on my part. I saw in the mirror, so it would have been right behind us, a waitress walking. So I turned immediately and I went up to get her and there was no one there. And I wanted it so much. I saw it. I saw the wanting. I wanted it so much. I did it again. I did it again. I didn't believe it. And obviously, what I thought was a mirror was an opening into the next room. <laughs> sure, there was a waitress there, but she wasn't going to attend on us. <laughs> so, I and, I and I got a chuck and I got an inside chuckle out of it. So, why? Well, because I realized I was so deluded. I was fooled, right? It was a, it, I was thinking something was there that was going to give me something that it wasn't. How often does that happen? Uh, and then when I stayed with it, I felt all the craving to make my friend Neva happy. And I wanted to get the waitress for her immediately. And they were taking their time coming over on our side. So the wanting was feeding the delusion. So how much does this happen for us? In the course of a day, in the course of a sound we don't like, a thought we like or don't like, we get sucked into believing something, and the mind occupies a lot of space there. So 
when, we, when awareness gets more continuous with the breath or with anything that's other than a thought, then it can start to have a fresher relationship with thought. And here, particularly with the underlying energies, the wanting, the not wanting, the clusters of mind and body that naturally flow from that. Uh, one way, one very wonderful way to start tapping that is, and you can do this, is you can touch in with the body when you have an, an emotion or an image that's gripping you. You can also sometimes step out from it and just be with your reactions underneath it. So there's a storyline, there's image, there's, whole, there's a whole something going on that's gripping us. And we just slip, one way is to slip into the body. You just slip out from underneath and you see what's feeding it. And so often there's reaction or there's wanting mind. And then you stay with that for a bit. You open and you stay with, you stay with that want and you get to know it. And this is where wisdom happens. And this is the place where wisdom uh, starts to, the significance of opening the practice and working with the mind directly becomes palpable. Krishnamurti, the same, this uh, contemporary uh, Indian, wonderful, uh, uh, well, he's passed away now, just, considered very high Vipassana teacher, even though he's not in a Buddhist tradition. He said, if you observe the whole movement of your mind, it has tremendous significance. It has tremendous significance. Like, okay. Until we experience it, we don't know that. Do we want to learn about, this path is about freeing the mind, isn't it? And the heart. Or is it just about feeling good? <laughs> Have I a little of both? <laughs> don't, don't leave out the second part. That's what, the, <laughs> that's what I'm imploring us in a certain way to embrace. Even though it's not easy. Oh, do, does a hybrid car go as fast as a... Does a hybrid go as fast as a, as a nice car that's speedy with 300 and something horsepower uh, V? I don't know what they're called. Does it? Who has, how many people here have hybrids? No, they don't go as fast, do they? Okay. I'll tell you a story right at the end. We're almost at the end, but I'll tell you a story at the end from my mother who just got her Prius. Very interesting. <laughs> so we have to want to learn. Freedom is in the mind and the heart. And this is saying that the colorations of the mind and the heart, they're to, get to, to, get, to let something go, in a way we have to get to know it. We all know this, don't we? We have to come to, and we hear it, I'll accept it, right? But we have to taste it. And we can only taste it when there's enough interest, when there's enough mindfulness in an open way, and enough continuity of attention so that we're actually stable. We can actually see and let these things be part of what we can attend to. If we open it up and this doesn't work, we come back to the breath as much as we need to, of course. But we don't want to be limited there. So I told this, uh, there's, I, I meditate where I live outside in a tent often in the, in the nice months. And we have two little cats. We thought we were buying coon cats that are huge. And they turned out to be bonsai coons. So they're mini. <laughs> Cute. 
And they loved, they loved to torment me. So I set up my tent, and they come out, and they're curious, and they want to get in. So I didn't let them in. And you know what they did? They, did, they didn't scratch it, fortunately. They did everything but. They crawled underneath the tent. <laughs> they'd get like right near me on one side. The other one, they'd rub up against and try to, you know, how they rub and roll over and meow and meow and meow. It's like, this is ridiculous. I just want a little peace and quiet. I can work with my reactivity. I can go feed them. I can go walk across the yard and feed them and try to get rid of them that way. And then they'll come back once they're full. Or, ah, I opened up the screens. And what did they do? They came in. They were so happy once they figured out how to get in. They were just so happy. And I remember Ferdy, he's the bigger one. He's the male, their uh, brother and sister. He sat down. He rolled. I, I was watching him with eyes open even though I was sitting. And he was so interested. And then checked out. And like, I, he sat down. He was very happy. And then a few minutes later, got a little cramped in there for him. And he was gone. It didn't bother me anymore. So we have such a struggle, an antagonistic relationship with the mind. We can't let it come and go as it needs to, as it's natural to do. So wouldn't that be wonderful if we could do that? And here's the, wonder, here's the most wonderful thing about any kind of hybrid. Where does it get its energy from? So if it's a plug-in, it gets it from, right? It'd be open awareness from anywhere, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting. What happens when it puts on the brakes? It gets recharged every single time it puts on the brakes. It gets recharged. So what would it be like if these inner reactive things, we actually started to have the capacity, and it grows, to have interest in these? The reactions, the wanting, the not wanting. These are just labels, the energies of the mind and the heart as they move. Not just the story, but the energies. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could have little moments of actually being renewed? And this leads to wisdom. When we can actually take interest. It's the pause. So when you push a brake on, you're pausing, aren't you? So it's that mindful pause. And that's a very important attitude. You wake up where you are. Senses are all equal in a way. We value them all. Of course, some are more equal than others at times, like the breath, but not always. And we wake up, we value waking up where we are. And every time it comes up, if we have enough interest and steadiness, and that's why these powers, they, need, they grow the more we strengthen them. Interest. Uh, curiosity. Right? Persistence that's gentle. Valuing continuity over the pleasantness that comes with depth. That we can start to get little bits of renewal. And then when the, balance, when the factors are balanced, then we see into things in a way where something gets released. Some clinging at some level gets released. And we feel the freedom. Insight. Insight into the nature of something. Doesn't cling, it doesn't grab us so much. We probably all had little learnings, right? But we have to value creating the conditions and actually getting out of the way of trying 
to make it happen, which these energies are doing at a, with the wanting mind. It's all over practice, isn't it? <laughs> at the not wanting mind. We're trying to force it rather than create the conditions. And so we have to settle back, keep strengthening moment by moment, and then see what happens. Uh, the wonderful poet Basho says, so I was asking if you want to learn about the mind and the heart, really, if you want to become free. He says, if you want to go to the pine, if you want to learn about the pine, go to the bamboo, if you want to learn about the bamboo. In doing so, you leave your preoccupation with yourself. Otherwise, you impose yourself on the object and do not learn. So, go to the mind if you want to learn about the mind or the fullness of awareness wherever it's, wherever it's arising. Go to the pine if you want to learn about the pine or the bamboo if you want to learn the bamboo. Same thing, breath if you want to learn the breath. But open attention in the mind if you want to learn the mind and the heart. In doing so, you must leave your preoccupation with yourself. And that means we have to leave these filters. We have to leave the self-judgment, the pushing and pulling, the needing experience to be a certain way. We have to leave those behind. Otherwise, we impose ourselves. And we can feel it. it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful energy to actually start to touch when we're imposing. Our, we see it. We see how it's functioning. We impose ourselves on the object and do not learn. So this is a practice of learning. And that's the attitude that I really like to to emphasize, is that if we shift to a hybrid model, and now I'll tell my story of my mother as we finish. Uh, And as we open the instructions, you may find some parallel in your own life here as we open the instructions, if you're just starting to get settled with the breath. Of course, it'll be judgment. Use your own judgment, wisdom. Let wisdom decide how much to open and how much not to. We'll have the formal instructions tomorrow. So my mother had an Audi, a black sporty Audi, for many, many years. And she loved her Audi. I mean, like 20 years. And she zoomed all over the place. Okay? And then, it must have been fashionable or something. But whatever. She told me her friends had them. She decided to get a Prius. So she got one. She was all excited. And then I saw her, and she was not happy. Downright not happy. And I said, what, what's wrong? It's a beautiful car. And she said, Tubby. That was her name for it. Tubby is so slow. And is no fun. And I can't drive the thing. Doesn't start when I want it to start. I don't know how it works. Uh, I guess it gets me going, but and I, maybe I save some money, some gas, but I don't like it at all. And you could tell she was full of regret for having to drive this tubby around. And so then the next time I saw her, or I checked in with her like a month or so later, she was like, "Oh, it's I'm getting used to it. Gets me where I'm going." Okay. And then I saw her recently. I had my 50th birthday a few days ago. She came down to see me. It's wonderful. And, uh, 
uh, I checked in with her and her her, uh, her husband, um, and because uh, he's in the car with her a lot, and I asked her how how she liked her hybrid, and she said her her Prius, and she said uh, it's okay, but she had a twinkle in her eye and a little smile, and then I asked Bill how it was, it's her partner, her husband, and he said, oh, it's wonderful. He said it's so smooth and so safe. And we actually drive in a way where we can enjoy what's around us as we're getting where we're going. So I invite you, as we open the practice tomorrow, to start, and even right now, to really embrace the quality of valuing a continuity, a lightness, an openness of attention that is not at the expense of clarity, but that is open to everything. And then little by little, we may shift. And we may start to see that we can actually be renewed by being in touch with whatever, whatever is meeting us in life. And then when we, something arises that is difficult and we take interest in it. Oh, I'll tell one insight story, tiny for myself. When I was doing a self-retreat in Vermont a couple weeks, last week, it was a celebration for me for my birthday. And I came in, I, was, I went for a hike up a mountain and I came back and it was getting dark and I couldn't untie my shoe. I had double knotted shoes. So one of mine tied and the second one, I couldn't get it untied. So I immediately got a little angry, right? I got frustrated or whatever, just a little bit like, ugh. And it was, it was like I could feel it rising. And as it rose, part of me, it did it once and I was like, I, want, I wanted to go and try to pull it or whatever. And as I, I just paused for a moment, and then I saw that energy arise very clearly. A little bit of that frustration, that wanting, that I saw it rise and it just, my mind just saw it arise and then space happened and a little thought came in, no, no, just be gentle with it, you'll, you'll, you'll get it open. And I did. And I was light. It wasn't just that I saw it, there was a, there was, it was a little insight. I saw it, and in the seeing of it and its movement, something freed up. It was actually one of the more profound insights I had of sitting uh, days. But it was that willingness. And it was, it, it's not because I was trying to will it in that moment. It's because I had created the conditions, and it was natural. Where I saw into something as I was living. I saw it clearly. I took interest in it. So I'm inviting us all to see if we can stretch a little bit, what we feel like the practice is, and uh, drive a hybrid Dharma vehicle. So let's sit for a minute.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.